So it's eight o'clock in the morning and this beautiful early morning light is hitting St. Kieran's well. First, why are we here? I'm a hydrogeologist and over the last 40 years of my career I've worked in many countries on water well projects in Africa, Middle East and Asia and more recently as an academic in Trinity on research projects to do with groundwater resources, pollution and so I have an interest in, in wells and in fact I've written a textbook on water wells aimed at engineers and geologists and as part of my my journey and my technical work I've become interested in heritage and in Ireland in particular we have a very large number of so-called holy wells. There are about 3,000 were picked up in 19th century mapping. So I was curious as to you know are these uh, holy wells, is there something special about them in terms of are they more common in certain geologies than others and is there anything different in their water chemistry compared to, to non-holy wells. So I decided as I approached my retirement to start a part-time PhD on um, trying to answer these research questions. Anishwish, so fall to Roiv Galeir Estach. But before we jump into this episode, I should just let you know that this is the second part of a story we've been telling about a holy well, St. Chiron's, just outside Kells in County Meath. So you may want to listen to that first one if you haven't already. Now, like it didn't end on a a cliffhanger or anything, but in the last episode, I spoke to Dr. Ronan Foley, who studies the culture and rituals of places like this. And Ronan told us stories about how holy wells have been venerated for generations and how they're often associated with cures. Now, that got me wondering, why are some wells considered sacred or holy and others not? And what is it about these wells that make people associate them with cures? Is there something in the water that you can measure? Anyway, Ronan told me that if I wanted to find out the answers, there was one person in particular I should speak to. So I've returned to St. Kieran's Holy Well in County Meath to meet Dr. Bruce Mistier. He's an adjunct professor in hydrogeology and environmental engineering at Trinity College Dublin and fellow emeritus. And with that, Welcome to the Almanac of Ireland, a pick-and-mix romp through some of Ireland's hidden wonders. It's in the family. It's in the family of the most... Well, the sunny days really are the best times to see them. You're saying we turn to Christianity because of a weather event? It's like something out of a Hollywood movie. When you realise what was necessary to bring us here, you came on a train. So, so much folk thought is given to holy wells and to sacred wells. It's been such an, like an intrinsic part of who we are. But I've almost never heard of anyone mixing science with the well. Well, that's the thing. I've um, come across a lot of um, articles and papers and books describing the folklore, religious practices, a little bit about the archaeology, health geographies of holy wells. But I haven't come across anything that actually questions well why are the wells here what are they are they mainly shallow springs Uh, are they all shallow springs or are some coming from deep sources and examining their water chemistry so that's why as a hydrogeologist I thought it would be interesting to to undertake this research so the the springs themselves one of the really curious um, features about this particular site is you can see that there are 
small springs, there are at least three seepages, and they come from limestone at the foot of an embankment. But what was really unusual about this is that this limestone is weathered in a similar way to some of the limestones in the west of Ireland in the famous Burren area of Karst. And Karst limestone like this is quite rare in the east of the country. So you could take a photograph of this and you could show it to somebody who's in County Clare and you could try and convince them this is part of County Clare and they'd probably believe you. So should we, should we, should we enter? Should we get a better sense of this? Good. As you, as you say, when we enter, there is this classic lunar-like limestone rock formation that I think of the burn, or I think of those sort of karst landscapes in Eastern Europe more, because it's so rounded. That's right. And um, as you say, the idea of water, of groundwater coming up, or of there being springs, is a phenomenon you're finding all throughout Ireland. But why are some of the, why is this different? Why is this holy, or was this given? Do we have any sense of that? That's, it's a very good question. Why are some springs and some wells holy and some not? I mean, if you travel through the Burren area and you come across little springs and these little rounded uh, hollows created by the uh, solution of the rock, some are holy wells, some not. I suspect the, um, the answer is, is complicated and varies from place to place, and geology is only part of the, the answer. So, for example, in County Monaghan, there are very few holy wells, and that's partly probably due to low population density and probably there are fewer early Christian churches, etc. there and fewer ancient roots. But also a large part of County Monaghan and neighbouring counties of Leitrim and parts of Cavan are covered in very thick clays. So there are relatively few springs. So for that reason, there will be fewer uh, wells and fewer of those would become holy wells. Okay. So we're now standing, as you said, this is in between the three, or the three springs, three waters rising up. So um, the main springs are, there's one in this outcrop you're looking at, which is this kind of wavy uh, limestone that's been highly weathered by these karstification processes. It almost looks like the, a mini Grand Canyon. Yes, it, the weathering takes place uh, along a, a, a geological fracture known as a joint in this case, and the upstanding part is known as a clint, and the, the kind of hollow is known as, as a grike, and you get this classic clint and grike topography in, in, in the burn. That's, um, that's like that chocolate bar sense exactly. of the landscape where it, it, it rises with these little tiny stone exactly. valleys. And it happens particularly where the limestone is relatively pure, so where it doesn't contain much clay, so it's mainly calcium carbonate because that uh, dissolves to, to produce the, the, these features. In this particular hollow we're looking at, apparently one of the, the uh, legends is that if you lie down in, on this outcrop, this is, it helps uh, treat backache. And different parts of this spring system have reputations for different cures. So as well as backache, there's toothache, warts, and other things. Right. And so when you're mixing these ideas, this, the pure science with this folk belief, how, what's your methodology or what's your particular focus, your interest? Well, my first focus is to do an analysis of the distribution of these holy wells according to their geology, the classification of their groundwater productivity. We call it a, a geological formation that um, supplies groundwater we call an aquifer, and we class aquifers into those that are regionally important and those that are poor aquifers, etc., and I've done an analysis 
as to see whether the uh, holy whales are more common in certain geology and aquatypes than others. And the answer to that is that they seem to be fairly evenly distributed. So, for example, 70% of the Irish um, landscape is underlain by aquifers that are classed as poorly productive. And about 70% of the holy whales are on those aquifers. Okay. And a poorly productive aquifer means there's just a lot of groundwater under the surface but either not enough to be useful or doesn't come up to be useful. Is that e- it? Exactly. It means that more or less everywhere beneath our feet there is groundwater. 97% of the world's fresh water is groundwater and only 3% is in rivers and lakes. Um, but in many places it's... Wait, wait there. That's, say that again. So 95... So 90. basically we're standing on this sea of water, most of us. Is that no? Yes. I mean, but it's in, in many places it's in very small pores and cracks in rocks and soils where it's difficult to withdraw um, at any kind of rate to give a water supply to wells. So when it's in clays, clays, for example, store a lot of water, but you can't get it out. Okay, it's held tightly by suction forces. So 97% of the the world's fresh water, and I'm ignoring the icebergs, by the way, so 97% is underground and um, about 3% is in rivers and lakes and inland sea. And half of the world's water supplies come from groundwater and about 40 to 45 percent of the water used for irrigation comes from groundwater and irrigation is the world's biggest use of water as i'm I'm sure everybody is aware so um, despite that groundwater is relatively it's out of sight and it's out of mind and so if the main i suppose element that we now attribute to to wells is these healing properties and i suppose a lot of that was faith-based so it's the idea that faith is what a faith is not above reason but beyond it. But you're almost trying to bring reason, bring bring that scientific analysis into into looking at the healing properties of wells. Am I right? Yes. So in addition to looking at what the wells are in terms of springs and their geologies, etc., I'm interested in the water chemistry. And in particular, is there anything different in the water chemistry of holy wells to other wells? And in addition to talking about major constituents like calcium bicarbonate um, I have been analysing for so-called trace elements. These are mainly metals, they're cadmium, copper, lithium and substances like that and there are normal concentrations in groundwater in the parts per billion, so tiny concentrations. And I would say in advance of uh, you know, completing my work is that even if one finds elevated levels of any particular parameter, then uh, the concentrations are still in the parts per billion. So you would need to drink vast quantities of water you know, to, to get the same kind of dosage as you would get from food, for example, or taking a tablet or something like that. And then what other elements are you looking at? Or what other yeah, insights have we got from wells? What I'm also hoping to achieve is that... Um, 19th century mapping uh, listed about 3,000 holy wells in the 26 counties and uh, many of those have since been destroyed by development and so forth. There are other holy wells that um, weren't picked up in the mapping. Nobody knows quite how many wells we have at the moment but clearly many of them are under threat with increased um, agriculture intensification, urbanisation etc. So as well as being important culturally I feel that um, 
Some holy wells merit uh, preservation in terms of their interesting geological environments. So I'm hoping to identify kind of priority wells where they will be of interest in terms of geological heritage area. So we walk around this well, and you might like exp- you might tell what you see through your eyes, through your okay. experience. Well, you go to the main spring. <clears throat> We're now standing at the, the main spring, and this is the one that's actually known as St. Kieran's Well. And in visiting over uh, three years, the water level in the spring has only varied by about six centimetres. So this indicates that it's a, a relatively constant source, albeit the water level is lower, i.e. the spring flow is uh, slightly less during a prolonged uh, dry period as we had a, a year ago. And I can do a a test now with a a small handheld meter that gives a kind of global indication of water quality called the electrical conductivity. It's an indirect measure of the total dissolved uh, solids within the water. And that is only varied by, if you like, about 10% from season to season. That would be fascinating to do. Is that easy enough to do? Well, I can do it now. It would be great. So this is a little handheld meter. It looks like a little remote control or something, yes, yeah, with a little re-digital readout on it. Tiny. And it gives uh, three readings, the water temperature, the electrical conductivity, which is an indirect indication of the total dissolved solids, and the more salt there is in water, particularly sodium chloride, the more conductive it is to electric current. And this has a little battery in, inside it and measures that. And then it also gives an indication of how acid or alkaline the water is, the pH. So you're just going to put your little beaker into the water. Do you want me uh, to do uh, that? No, I can, I can do that. I'm rinsing the, uh, the probe on the, the instrument. Put it here. Turn it on, checks the battery. The water temperature it says is 13.2. And it is giving a water EC which is slightly lower than previously. I think it's due to the recent rainfall. So it's giving a value of 482 microsiemens per centimeter is the unit. And that is equivalent to a total dissolved solids of about um, 300 milligrams per litre. So does that mean there are a lot of ground solids in it or not? It means it's, it would be typical of the water issuing from a limestone. Right, but this has, you said, 300 parts per million, is that it? Yes, uh, approximately, yeah. uh, slight, slightly above that. Yeah, I might take a drink of that water. Can I, I'm going to get the, is the... There is a ladle there, you can take that from beneath my... Great. It tastes good. Um, so then when I am drinking it, I'm getting that, whatever, that 300 parts per million, or slightly over 300 parts per mineral of, of goodness, of something that isn't water, of mainly b- bits of calcium carbonate, is it? Yes, it, the calcium bicarbonate is the, um, is, the, you know, is, is, the, is the major composition, and then the, the bulk of the rest of it is made up of other major ions like magnesium, sodium, chloride, sulphate. But these are all the things that you see in the health food shop as the supplements that were now being given. So, I mean, there was a certain role, was there, in taking this water regularly enough and you would be getting 
the, 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 the elements that way? Yes. Um, if you are taking a regular water supply and you have um, your water supply is, is hard water from a groundwater source and you're re- drinking two litres a day, then part of your intake of, of minerals like um, calcium, magnesium, etc. would be from your, your water consumption in addition to whatever you're getting from your food. What I will do now is um, take uh, samples for laboratory analysis because when it comes to the the details, particularly of the minor constituents, these have to be done in a laboratory under laboratory conditions. So I can simply dip this in the water and take the sample and do the analysis back in the laboratory. Mm-hmm. And I'm now filling it up to the top. So, so. The, perhaps the, the sacred element, the divine element of the water is now captured in this little capsule, but, you're, but you're, not, you're not actually looking for the sacred element. Anything sacred or holy is, is obviously a matter of faith. Obviously, I'm, I'm a scientist, so I'm not a special in religions, but one of the things I did kind of make inquiries about is the difference between sacred and holy. And uh, sacred, I believe, is something that is venerated, and so a well can be venerated, but holy is something that apparently embodies some of the divine. So water can also, if you think of baptismal um, rituals, can also be regarded as divine. So sometimes referred to as holy wells, but they could also be equally referred to as as sacred wells. Bruce, like sometimes when I'll come across a well, a, a sacred well, and I try some of the water, I get this feeling, and it's very hard to describe, but it's like it's like a purity. It's like this buzzing in my head, in my forehead, um, and I always think it's the purity of the water. It's the it's some it's some some energy in the water. Is that entirely unscientific of me? Well, I haven't come across any scientific evidence for that. Let's put it that way, and I, maybe that's a, a good point about my research in. In general, I'm not trying to challenge faith. I'm merely trying to understand more. But but I'm not so much talking about faith. Like, when you try a particular water, like different waters, do you get a different sensation from some than others? A different satisfaction? I get a different taste from some waters compared to others. Particularly on the continent, sometimes if you order a bottle of mineral water for your table, it comes, it's kind of highly mineralized and it's very salty, which I don't like. I don't normally detect any kind of subtle differences between different uh, bottled waters. And even then from a re- water in a reservoir to water in a living spring, in a moving animated spring, it wouldn't make much difference? That can do because the spring can have a, a more mineralized, harder water and which you can taste compared to a reservoir water which is often very soft water. And uh, also reservoir water, um, in most places you will get some kind of residual chlorine flavour. Now, that may not be uh, desirable in terms of taste, but it is good and reassuring in terms of uh, the the quality of water because it means there's some residual uh, disinfection against bacteriological infection. Whereas a a lovely spring like this, it is susceptible to pollution. And I've said it it does have elevated nitrate, so that would at least uh, indicate that there, there is a risk that this has uh, some pollution. But the idea of the energy of water won't go very far with you. I haven't experienced that. 
So have we finished our tests? Or We've finished tests? the test. So just the, so that's um, explaining about how water samples are, are collected. So it's uh, it requires a little bit of preparation, as, as you can see. And have you are you finding any surprises so far in your analysis of water? Not so far. I would say that the there's a lot of variation in the in the water chemistry, but there's a lot of variation in the water chemistry of groundwaters in general, and um, it's it. it partly reflects uh, the rock types, it partly whether it's a shallow or deep source, and also whether it's close to the sea or not. And if in the 19th century the spas and the wells in Europe, particularly in, in Czech Republic and in Czechoslovakia and in Germany, became so important for their health-giving sources, would you go along with that? Would you believe that those spas were so good? Most of those spas, as I understand it, I've only um, sampled a few waters I've been to Vichy, for example, in, in, in France, and they were reliant on heavy, heavily mineralized waters, sulfurous waters. And uh, very often the cures involved either bathing in the waters, in which case they probably had some benefits in terms of treating skin complaints, and then people drank waters for the purgative effect. And I think medical opinion is probably divided as to the efficacy of, uh, of purgatives like uh, drinking highly mineralized waters. But these were certainly respected cures, and they still are in, in many places. Yeah. And we had a, a small number of spas in Ireland. Um, the, the only spa well that... Um, it's, well, it's, it's, it's not really... Well, it is partly operational, is the uh, sulfur well at Listoon Varna, and there's a spa centre which they've redeveloped and it's a very interesting place to visit. But there were other spa wells at uh, Leaslip, Swanlinbar, Mallow in Cork, etc., which no longer operate. But most of those were based on mineralised sulfurous waters. Just last week I heard someone who went to St. Patrick's Well, you know, at Cyclone Mel. Yes, and I again, think. they'd had a... a um, a sort of Lyme's disease type illness, one of these wasting, exhausting illnesses. And the the... the what is it, the guardian of the well? Yes. Brought them in, insisted that he wanted to do this. I met him. Yes. Good. <laughs> and they're cured. They're cured a week later. Yes. And um, you know, which which is terrific. And I think you you've met uh, Ronan Foley, and he's written about the kind of the therapeutic landscape element of these sites. And St Patrick's Well in Clonmel strikes me as a particularly good example of that because it's a very beautiful site. Um, as a geologist, it's a, it's a big karst spring again, as, as, as you probably saw, and you can see limestone outcrop. Um, but it is a very attractive site, so you can imagine how, um, how its reputation as a, as a place of healing might have uh, developed. And it's also a site where there's an old church, etc. And many of the wells, um, perhaps a, a third of the ones I've been to anyway, are close to old churches and graveyards. Raising the question, which comes first, is it the well or the, the church? And uh, because if you were founding an early Christian church or monastery, you need a water supply. Um, if you were trying to convert local people, then if you founded it near a place that was already considered sacred, then that might be uh, be uh, something to your your advantage. But in other cases, perhaps the well developed later. It's complex. I, I find it difficult to reduce to a few words because different people will get different uh, experiences from visiting wells. You know, one of the reasons I became a hydrogeologist is, you know, I like water. I like visiting springs. I like um, constructing wells for water supply and seeing them work and seeing irrigation and all of this. So I, I enjoy the landscapes. 
people are very interested in them. Um, so I've been to 215 and I saw some signs of uh, activity like votives, like rags, ribbons, etc. at something approaching about half of those. So that indicates that um, those ones anyway have some active involvement. Um, there's, <clears throat> there's an American scholar called Celeste Ray who's written a book about Irish holy wells, mainly from the ritual point of view, also archaeology. And she has uh, told me that she has visited 900 holy wells and islands. So that is, <clears throat> is the, the largest number any one person that I know of has, has visited. The, um, the 19th century mapping picked up 3,000, as I said earlier. So um, how many of those still exist? I, I don't know, but it's more than 1,000. Is it more than 2,000? Possibly not, but I, but I don't know. In terms of chemicals and wells, the big revelation was a few years ago when it came out, a story came out that Glowningalt, this well between Tralee and Camp in Kerry, which Glowningalt, the Valley of the Insane, and there was a well there that people who had mental issues would go to. And then it was claimed that this had raised levels of, of lithium in it. Have you had done any analysis of that? Yes, I have. I've been there twice and I sampled it in summer and winter. And... Um, Although my results aren't finalised, from my provisional results, I didn't find elevated lithium. Um, now, the sampling that you're talking about took place in 2012, and so I would probably need to know more about the sampling techniques as well as the analytical techniques, the time of year, if there is elevated lithium, does this vary according to the seasons, etc. But... Uh, the, uh, the person from IT Tralee, uh, who's now retired, who was involved in the analysis, I mean, I think he did point out in the TG Cahar programme that even with the elevated values that he found, you would need to drink thousands of litres of water to get the same kind of dosage as a tablet uh, that would be prescribed as part of uh, medical treatment for, for depression. Because we're talking about parts per, per billion. I have uh, no conclusions. All I would say is that, well, one, my research is not completed. Uh, people I have spoken to have emphasized the importance of faith, as well as any of the uh, beneficial properties of the water. And I think the therapeutic landscape element is important. People feel better when they're in this kind of landscape compared to perhaps in some other domestic or work environments. Um, but I do not expect to be able to say that a certain well is definitely um, has curative powers for a particular reason. I will be able to tell you as to which wells may have chemistries that are slightly different from what one might expect. But again, I would just caution that we are talking of these very, very small concentrations. Holy wells still exist at all in Ireland is a real blessing. Sacred sources of water have been such a central part of human belief across the world. And we're lucky that we've kept a thread back to this ancient practice still alive here. It'd be such a shame if we lost it now. We should really try to seek out and cherish our last holy wells. For us here at the Almanac of Ireland, though, it's now time to put out the hair. Do, do you know what that means? 
Like a generation ago, your grandparents would have all would have all understood this. Putting out the hair refers to harvesting your field of oats or straw or hay or barley. You see, as the advancing sides and slash hooks and sickles cut deeper into the field, the animals hiding within would venture deeper until eventually there was just one small patch left. And of course, the farmers knew that this was where the hare, or maybe the fox, the pheasant, or the corncrake were hiding. The hare was the most important, because she could be a representative of the fairy world. This final patch of crop was called Cunha Onria, the hare's corner. It was considered kind of sacred, and they'd each throw their reaping hook to cut a last final sheaf from it. Later on, women would craft this into an ornamental twist or elaborate braid. But before they cast their hooks and sickles into Cunyon Ria, they'd shout out in a big hullabaloo, Put out the hair! Put out the hair! Cuidemach on Ria! And so that's what I leave you with now. Put out the hair! Cuidemach on Ria! Because this is the final episode of the current series of the Almanac of Ireland. And while we search the dusty corners of this island for new stories, remember that you can always listen back to our previous episodes on this podcast feed and share them with others if you feel like it. The Almanac of Ireland was presented by me, Moncon McGann, and produced by Colette Kinsella. This is a Red Hair Media production for RT Radio. Han a quid dun vinu o udras kjelacha na heiren, na haragad on hjadunas telefisha. All music in the series is by Blue Dot Sessions.